I had a vision, mm. I had passion, I had built relationships and I, I had my skill set built as a dietitian. I'm so grateful for that time. Hey everyone, and welcome to Sports Artie Snippets. I'm Liz Waluka, a registered dietitian and board certified specialist in sports dietetics. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you a sports dietitian guest that will share advice, insight, and rewards of the profession. Snippets of their own career path to becoming a sports RD. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sports Artie Snippets. I'm super excited to have Amy Culp today on the podcast. Amy is a veteran sports dietitian that will remind you to follow your passion, live by your values, and take time to build your skill set as a dietitian. Amy Culp is a skilled nutrition expert with a passion for promoting nutrition and wellness. She is a registered and licensed dietitian, is board certified in sports dietetics, and is a certified eating disorders dietitian. Amy specializes in sports nutrition, eating disorders, and weight management. Since 2012, Amy has had the honor of developing and leading the performance nutrition program at the University of Texas. Prior to joining UT full-time, Amy served there as a consultant sports dietitian while working in her private nutrition practice in Austin, Texas. Serving as the Assistant Athletics Director for Performance Nutrition and Clinical Wellness at UT, Amy cast the vision and developed the program from the ground up, starting with just herself to serve all 550 student-athletes and now to a team of six full-time sports dietitians. Armed with her wealth of nutrition knowledge, public speaking abilities, and true passion for healthy living, Amy feels she is doing her life's work when she educates the public on strategies of living a healthy lifestyle. She enjoys utilizing a non-diet approach to help clients make peace with food and assisting athletes in getting an edge on competition through proper fueling techniques. Amy earned her Bachelor's of Science with Distinction in Food and Nutrition from San Diego State University and completed her clinical training at the highly competitive and challenging VA San Diego healthcare system. While at SDSU, Amy exhibited outstanding leadership abilities as president of the Student Nutrition Organization, was awarded with scholarships, and was chosen as the Outstanding California Dietetic Student of the Year for the State of California by the American Dietetic Association. Prior to starting her private practice, Amy worked in nutrition communications on a healthy dining guide as a nutrition education consultant and worked with students at the University of Texas to improve their nutrition and wellness. Amy is a member of the American, Texas, and Austin Academies of Nutrition and Dietetics, SCAN, CPSDA, where she serves on the board of directors, serving as president from 2020 to 2021. In 2014, CPSDA honored her with the service award in recognition of the contributions given to her profession. In her free time, Amy enjoys cooking, being physically active, especially running in her husband's workouts, and spending time with her family. Let's jump in and let's meet Amy. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. How's life in Texas? Um, it's busy and um, yeah, it feels, uh, you know, like I was saying, we were hoping January would, it would feel different, right? But it, we're still in the middle of the pandemic. So um, a lot's the same. I know. Amy and I were just talking before we started recording about, we're excited it's February because I feel <laughs> like January, we're all kind of not dreading, but we knew it just wasn't going to be kind of better. And at least February, I can kind of see like a little bit of this like new light at the end of this tunnel. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
So, yeah. Yeah, things are good in Austin. We are, you know, we uh, the other day had um, at my house four inches of snow, which I posted all over Instagram because we never get snow down in Austin. So that was fun. And then the next day it was like 70 yeah. degrees. I was going to ask, I was like, what's weather there? Because I was like, we don't, I'm in New England and we don't be like the snow you guys got, like we didn't get that yet. I heard that. I heard that from a friend who I was talking about the other day. So we had so much fun. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, and, and you built a huge snowman though. It was, it was super fun and um, everything closed down for the day and the next day too, even though it was gone the next day, my kids didn't go to school. Um, and then it was, you know, 65, 70 degrees. So it's good. That's entertaining, I guess for <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, so I like to start these episodes off with how we know each other. So I was just kind of thinking, I feel like I've just like always kind of known you, but it wasn't like this like huge moment where like I met you, which is really funny, but I was just thinking back, did you send the emails for like the first, um, advanced practice workshop on like who was attending? Did you say I think email? I was going to say, I think that's probably when we like met mostly in person and had the most opportunity to get to know each other. Cause I remember when we were, we were driving to the airport, I think, and you were telling me a little bit about your story, um, which I oh, had no idea. Wait, that was McCallum. We were at McCallum together. Oh, okay. Oh, that, the eating disorders workshop. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That was like 10 years ago. That was yeah. three years ago. But I remember, I think you sent the emails to people going to um, APW that year of 2017. And I remember I was like, oh, like, I hope I can go. But you couldn't, I don't think you applied that year. You could only get nominated. So like Kelsey wrote me a letter and I, I think I just thought like time passed and I was leaving dinner at UNC and um, Kelsey was like, check your email. And I, I laughed because my email wasn't on my phone for some reason. I'm literally walking to my car. I take my laptop out of my, out of my backpack, like on the stone wall. And I see an email from you that like I could go. And I was so excited. It, it's <laughs> such a fun event. I love that. I love that event so much. Um, and it, because I don't know, it's, I think it's uh, the reason why it's exciting is it's this information that, um, you know, we're not taught as Jessica said, always says, we weren't taught this stuff in dietitian school, you know, and um, we're, we're thirsty for the knowledge of it, you know, and um, it's also really fun because it's like a small group. We try to keep it small so that we can really make connection and be vulnerable with each other. Um, and the board, you know, tells their stories. So, you know, you can feel like you can ask questions and yeah, it's a fun group. So I'm glad you remember that. Yeah. Well, it's also crazy too, because the year I went was like right when I was finishing SNP, and that was when like the new description wasn't early directors. It was still like just early dietitians looking to advance in the field. So I feel so lucky that I went to that one because I mean, my job to this day is literally like based off of that. Oh, that's awesome. So I love that. And then I forgot, like I went to UT the next year because the description changed. So I just feel so fortunate because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, good. I'm glad you get that shout out and let people know about it. Yeah. Apply. That's the yes. Point. Apply. <laughs> All right. So let's jump in. Can you take us through your career path up until this point where you started and where you are today? Yes, absolutely. Um, I love to tell my story, especially to sports dietitians, not because it's about me, but because it, um, I did not have like the, the path, the sort of that you hear about, you know, now about how to get a job in sports nutrition. Um, I took a very different path, even though I always knew I wanted to do sports nutrition um, so I was in college in the, in the nineties, to back it way up, I grew up in a really small town in Texas and then went to school for a couple of years, um, at Texas tech and 
was pre-physical therapy and um, <laughs> learned that I had to do gross anatomy and I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, that's full disclosure. I did not want to do gross anatomy and um, also volunteered in a couple of PT clinics and actually a sports medicine clinic at Tech and um, just didn't feel like it was the right thing for me. Um, so I started talking to my mom a little bit about what I should do. And um, she had, now it's called family consumer science, but she taught um, home ec, how I know it for 40 years in my little small town, um, was always really into nutrition and, and teaching us cooking and life skills and stuff like that. And she said, you know, you've always really loved food. Um, and I, I, if I could do anything else, I would be a dietitian. I think you should check it out. So um, I was actually transferring schools. I transferred from Texas Tech in Lubbock to San Diego State in San Diego, California. Yeah, <laughs> quite the difference. Um, and uh, I had always wanted to live at the beach and had the opportunity to be out in San Diego. So when I went to San Diego State, I took, um, I changed at that time to nutrition, took my first nutrition course and just fell in love. It was the first time I felt like I wasn't studying. And for whatever reason, um, I knew I wanted to do um, nutrition for helping people to live a long, healthy life and to be healthy. Um, I didn't know about clinical nutrition at the time. I remember talking to one of my best friends in class and was asking her what she wanted to do. And she said, I want to be a clinical dietitian. And I was like, well, what's that? What do you do with that? I didn't, I didn't even have a clue. Um, I always just kind of wanted to have my own business. Um, my husband is an, is a pretty avid athlete and, um, he was my boyfriend at the time. And I thought oh, we could open a business together and he can work with people and I can work with people. He's a, he's a personal trainer. Um, and so I just kind of just fell in love with sports nutrition and just got my hands on anything I could read. Um, one of my professors there, Mark Kern, he taught our sports nutrition classes and, um, I just told him about my passions for it. And so this was in the mid to late nineties. So, you know, again, the landscape looked very different. There weren't a lot of really any collegiate jobs. Um, the people that I looked up to in the field were consultant sports dietitians. And I was like, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to work with active people, be a consultant sports dietitian. Um, and just kind of let, pe let people know what my dream was. And, you know, Mark Kern gave me great opportunities. He let me co-author, I shouldn't say co-author, contribute to a sports nutrition book and I contributed to um, the SCAN uh, publication that he was, um, their, their newsletter that he was um, editing. So I kind of just got little opportunities like that and just let people know what my dream was. And then um, finished up college, did, did my internship out in California, took my first job as a clinical dietitian and worked in the ICU as a clinical dietitian out in California and um, loved it, actually really enjoyed it and got some great clinical skills there. Um, also worked as an outpatient dietitian there. And my husband and I just decided to move back to Texas. We're both from Texas. And honestly, we just picked Austin. Um, our family's from North Texas and um, we didn't want to live in North Texas. We love being outdoors and we were cyclists at the time and Lance Armstrong lives here and we we're like, mm, Austin seems good. Right. So anyway, um, and I had some friends that lived here and, um, we just chose Austin and, and built a life here. And so once I got here, I, I would say I took jobs that I said I would never do. So one of the lessons is never say never because, um, I said I would never do WIC when I was in my internship. And um, my first job that I got here in Austin was as uh, an assistant director for 
a WIC organization and I did, I oversaw like six WIC clinics and um, I was hired in that job because not because I was ready to be an assistant director, <laughs> honestly, because I had the credential um, and they needed a dietitian um, to oversee these WIC clinics and to oversee the high risk cases. So I got um, training on the job of, of a lot of management that I still use today. Um, met a lot of amazing people and really um, ended up really loving that community and loving working um, in that community. And then um, I got a job after that. I got a job with the state agency for WIC. And with that job, I was creating nutrition education programming for the WIC clinics in the state of Texas. So that was a really fun um, job. And again, a lot of skills that I, that I am able to use now. Um, and then also just relationships that I still have to this day. The people that I met there actually helped to connect me with people um, to my eventual dream job, which is here. And so while I was there, I started building a private practice on the side um, while I was at the state agency and said I didn't want to treat eating disorders. And the first person that called me was probably my hardest eating disorder case that I ever had. She was very sick, ended up needing to send her to the, um, to the ER. Um, and what I did with that was, you know, I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely somebody who's a, you know, let's figure it out kind of person. And I had one of my really good friends that, um, did eating disorders in San Diego and she did supervision with me and I decided, okay, I'll take it on. And if I decide I can't do it or I will not helpful for the, for the person, I will refer them in the community. And I ended up um, really enjoying the work um, and built a private practice on the side as I was working there at the state agency. Um, what I wasn't getting at the state agency was uh, building my skill set with counseling. And so an opportunity came across that, and I still needed though a day job to pay my bills because I wasn't making enough in my private practice. And so I took a job um, actually at UT at Texas, but for, as the dietitian for the students on campus. And so, um, you know, we have 50,000 students on campus and there were two dietitians. And so again, like learning by fire, right? I mean, and we had a lot of clinical cases. We had a lot of um, disordered eating and eating disorders. And at that time, I really focused on getting um, a lot of training in eating disorders. I went to Jessica Setnick's boot camp and Molly Kellogg's, uh, her counseling intensive. I joined her, her supervision group for eating disorders. And so I just really, you know, got entrenched in learning a lot about counseling. And then I did their club sports. In my private practice, I was seeing um, a lot of um, like recreational athletes in Austin, you know, we're a very um, uh, town that, you know, we love being outdoors and there's a lot of running and cycling and that kind of stuff. So I was seeing a lot of those kinds of athletes and some high school athletes. And so just kind of slowly built my practice over time to the point where I was able to um, leave my, my day job and do private practice full-time. So while I was doing private practice full-time, I was still sort of you know, trying to focus on sports nutrition. And I had met um, a lady through the Austin Dietetic Association um, and just always telling people that I love sports nutrition, any, you know, any presentation they would have about sports nutrition, I would go listen to it. And um, this uh, lady, Sally Bowman and I were working on putting together um, something for Austin Dietetic Association. And we just started becoming friends and collaborating on stuff together. And one day she called me and she said, you know, 
UT, I'm a, she was the consultant at UT at the time. And she said, UT is looking to bring on another consultant sports dietitian. Would you be interested? I'm like, are you kidding? Absolutely. Right. So um, that led to me coming to UT um, one day a week as a consultant sports dietitian, seeing their high-risk athletes, um, just one-on-one coming in and doing those consultations. And I started with a couple of sports and then started building relationships with some of the athletic trainers and strength coaches and forced myself to go because I didn't want to, because I was scared, <laughs> forced myself to walk into the football weight room and introduce myself to the strength coaches. Scary. <laughs> I was, I was very scared. I didn't know what I was doing. I felt like, and, but I also knew that, you know, if, if we, at the time, you know, sports nutrition was, was really taking off and there were, um, you know, there were definitely dietitians working in collegiate at this time. There was a handful, you know, of those veteran sports dietitians that you guys all know that were in, you know, full-time and in the big 12, there were two, two, um, that's when a was still in the big 12. So Amy Bragg and then Aaron Carboon was at, uh, no, Randy was still at Kansas. So Randy Bird was at Kansas. And so that was pretty much it full-time um, in the big 12, I think. What year is this? So I started consulting at UT in 2000, trying to think, my daughter was a year old. So 2007, 2000, no, it was 2006. She was just a few months old, I think. Um, So 2006, I started consulting Um, and really consulted for, I think it was about five years. Wow. Yeah, about five years. And really at the time, Sally and I were just building a case for them to hire a full-time sports dietitian. Neither one of us felt like at the time we really wanted the job. I had my dream job. I was, I had two little kids. I was working, you know, three days a week, one day at UT, and then like two days in my private practice. It was awesome. I loved it. Um, And so we just were building a case for like, you guys really need a full-time sports dietitian. Um, And then what happened is I started getting um, a lot more football consults and then they started asking me, will you come out, you know, to lift? Will you come out to practice? Will you come out? So I started doing more of, of that kind of like education, being present, helping with hydration, that kind of stuff. So the consultant model is not set up, you know, it's set up so that as a consultant, you should, you know, just be there for a certain amount of time. And so um, what happened is I ran out of my like consultant hours in July. Um, and, and Sally and I had been building a case for a couple of years, like, right, like hire a dietitian. So I had ran out of consultant hours in July and the, and the head football coach at the time, Coach, coach Brown, um, looked around and he was like, where's Amy? Why isn't she here? It was during training camp, you know, and, and our athletic trainer and coach were like, well, she's a consultant. She can't be here. She doesn't have any more hours right now. And so he was like, what? What's going on? You know, so um, he definitely helped to build the case um, with our AD along with um, my boss, my current boss right now. Um, for why there should be a full-time sports dietitian. And so that was sort of the turning point for me to decide for myself, um, what do I want to do next? And I had kind of gotten to the point in my private practice where I felt like I needed something else. So I had done that for about 10 years, loved it, loved working with eating disorders, loved working with sports, but felt like I needed a new challenge. Um, and so I was ready. I was like, okay, do I want to take on more dietitians? Do I want to hire more people? Like, what do I want my next sort of challenge to be? And then as I was kind of building this case, developing relationships, I just got a vision for building out a full-time department at UT. And so when they posted the job, 
I let my current boss know that I was going to apply for it. And he said, you know, well, would you leave your private practice for that? And I said, uh, no, I will still own it, but I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> um, and uh, he was like, okay, I mean, we'll consider you, you know, and for sure I was underdog, right? Like I had never built a collegiate sports program before. I, but the one thing that I had was I had a vision, mm. had passion, I had built relationships. Um, and I, I had my skill set built as a dietitian. I'm so grateful for that time. You know, it's at the time I was impatient and I, you know, back in, you know, when we moved to Austin and I wanted that job right away in sports, you know, and I'm taking these other jobs to pay bills and feeling frustrated and really wanting it to happen right away. But if, if it wouldn't have happened the way that it did, I wouldn't have gotten all of that experience. Um, and I'm so grateful for that time because I tell people all the time, I feel like being, being a sports dietitian and even working with the disordered eating piece of it, that has to be the easy part of your job because everything else is so hard. And again, we aren't taught it in nutrition school, right? So if you're learning how to be a dietitian and trying to build a program and trying to be a director all at the same time, it's really hard. Good luck. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, and so I'm, um, I'm grateful for that time. And so just the lesson in that for others is, you know, there's, again, there's no one perfect path. Oh, so again, so again, being the underdog, I was given the opportunity to interview um, and, and, and I'm grateful that I was chosen for the, for the position um, and kept my private practice going for a while. Um, then ended up the dietitian that I was working on it with me. Um, she took it over full time and I'm just now to the point where I feel like I have bandwidth to maybe start a little something on the side to bring on another dietitian and start something on the side, but I kind of really had to let that go for a while. And in and, and the interview process though, while I was interviewing, you know, I wanted to make sure this vision that I had for building out a department was going to be supported because it wasn't about me being the sports dietitian here. It really was about building out um, a world-class department. Um, and so I knew I was going to have to be the sports dietitian for a while, but as I was doing that, being the only person, I wanted to have that support to build out a department. And so I think that's another thing that's important um, when you're interviewing places to really make sure that your vision is in alignment with wherever you're interviewing. And again, it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. You know, it took me a, a long time um, and a lot of meetings and a lot of showing our value and a lot of conversations and all of those things that have to happen. Um, but you have, they have to have the same values, um, that you have, or else it will lead to quite a bit of frustration. Wow. That is amazing. And to think like, if you never walked into that weight room, like what, <laughs> right? Like I, that's scary, scary stuff. But like, I, I mean, I, I tell, yeah, I tell people all the time, you're going to have to, I did, I mean, I coached Amy, go in there, have a conversation, introduce <laughs> yourself. That make sure they know who you are, make sure you build re relationships or to have been key and will always be key. I mean, you can be the best person and you can be the best skilled person at your job, but if you haven't built trusting relationships with those around you, you aren't going to be able to get very far. Yeah. I also think it's amazing too, how you were saying you were overseeing like six WIC sites and to think like at a time, don't, didn't you over, or right now, don't you oversee like six dietitians? Like, isn't that <laughs> crazy? Like, cause most people don't do that. So I just think that's ironic to think like. Well, that's, 
Yeah, I never thought about that. Oh, that was the first thing I was like, wait, that's so cool. But like you said, when you're doing WIC, you're not like, oh, this is gonna help me become a sports dietitian. But like, whoa, like that must have helped you tremendously because you don't you don't get taught management, you don't get taught that. And then they they did. They invested a lot in training us in that piece of it, and so I. I dove right into that because I knew, I, I mean, there were, there were definitely people that were working in those WIC clinics. I mean, they knew more about WIC than I did. They knew more about the business side of it than I did, you know? And so being humble enough to say like, I'm not the smartest one in here and I need to learn pretty quick. Like I've been given this opportunity and I'm not going to take it lightly that I've been given this opportunity and just, you know, I just don't be frustrated in those moments when you feel like this is not it to be looking for what is, what's the lesson here? What am I supposed to be learning right now? What can I take out of this and learn? And again, the relationships, probably the most important thing, because like I said, there were, there are people still um, along the, along those paths that will still refer me for things, or I can call them about things, or I can ask them questions. So just remember, you know, the people along the way. Yeah. Really important. And like your work with eating disorders and at the time not knowing that to think how much of like that is in your day job right now. But at the time, like, you know, it's almost like if you only knew how valuable that would be and if you didn't have that time for supervision. And so, yeah, I think to anyone that wants to get into sports and I know I mean, you just really hit on it, but everything you do has so much value and you should really know that. Yeah, um, I definitely, you know, was like, am I doing the wrong thing by, you know, the bulk of my practice being eating disorders, but I'm grateful that I had that. Not only, you know, it was a great practice for me, but what I tell people a lot of times is what I, what I experience a lot is um, sometimes with the disordered eating and eating disorder cases with our athletes, it, it feels like a, like a very, some of my hardest clients um, in my private practice were, you know, they're very resistant adolescent because if it's an adult coming to you in private practice, they're at a different state of readiness, right? So they've, they've, they've hit that state of readiness where they're gonna pick up the phone and they're gonna call and they're gonna ask for help. But if you're an adolescent and you're being forced to go from your parents, that's a totally different thing, right? And so I think sometimes with athletes, them not understanding always that like our job is to help them to stay healthy and to compete and to do, to do the, the competition they love, there's sometimes a little bit of that resistance that we have to work with. And so I'm grateful that I worked with some of those really hard cases because I feel like it helps me to understand a little bit more, to build relationship a little bit more, to work with the resistance, to recognize the resistance. So again, if there's anyone that's, you know, wants to do sports and they feel like, why am I working, you know, in this in this arena, just, there's a lot of transferable skills that you're going to have along the way that you maybe just don't know about yet. And if you start sports without any of that experience, like I kind of did, it's not like you just like enter and everything's not like everything's not great, but you have to learn those skills along the way that Mm -hmm. you didn't get before. So Mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, if you can get into sports quickly, awesome. And like, I don't regret my path. I don't know anything different, but I think just knowing that it's all a part of your, your journey and your process. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So Amy, what do you feel like is the biggest mistake early RDs make in their career or first job? Um, I mean, I can maybe speak from my own experience, right? Uh, with the sports area for me and sort of in the department, it would be like trying to please too many people at one time yeah, um, and trying to do too much at one time, not having a clear vision of, of where to take things. 
Um, the other thing is, again, just trying to rush into getting um, a position before getting enough and building enough skills. And then, um, you know, being humble enough to ask questions of, I'm not sure about this, or I don't know about this. Um, being in those hard places and being in those vulnerable places is going to be where you learn the most. And so not being um, afraid to ask those questions or afraid to say like, you know what, I don't feel like I'm skilled enough yet to deal with this. And so can you either, you know, work with me through it or, you know, referring it out to somebody else um, on your team or in the community or something like that. But I would say, um, yeah, maybe people pleasing or um, not reaching out for help whenever they feel like they need it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Just from my own experience, like in those first two years or like one to two years, you want to come off confident, but you have to be vulnerable. And it's, I, it's hard to find that balance, but I think just knowing you try, try to at least acknowledge both sides. Um, but I think when you're like an early sports RD, you, you just naturally have a narrow, narrower like uh, view of everything because you don't have that much experience. And yeah. sometimes like you experience things that you're not going to know until you can see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So I think just like you were saying, like, be vulnerable, ask for help. And like a lot of people have said like, yes, you are the expert in nutrition, but like there's so much more to that, that that's not going to go over well. People have been doing the nutrition before you've gotten there. And, you know, the multidisciplinary team, it, like it really is like a big picture. But I think when you're younger, it's much harder to see it like that. It is. I mean, and, and even, I mean, I remember whenever I was starting, because again, I was, I was definitely, you know, the underdog applying for this position. And so when I got it, I felt like, oh my gosh, I got it. I can't ask questions now. And that's a huge mistake. Thankfully, I had, um, a mentor that was, I still meet with her every other week. At that time, I was meeting with her almost daily. And she she wasn't in sports nutrition. She's somebody who knows me personally, knows my knows my values, and, and uh, we're wired a lot the same. Um, and she's a few years ahead of me in life, you know? And so she took me on as a mentee and really helped me through a lot of things. And then my boss really believed in me and provided a lot of confidence. So I was, I felt okay asking, you know, him questions and asking um, my mentor questions, but if I could go back and change something, it would be being vulnerable and asking other, um, my colleagues more questions um, and not in, you know, being confident enough that, okay, you got the job, you're here for a reason. People want you to be successful. It's good for sports dietitians when other sports dietitians are doing a good job. Like it's great for the field, you know, and Again, my 45-year-old brain can see that. Um, the thing that's nice about being younger is that you, you're, you kind of have a little bit of that, you know, bravery that comes with being a little naive, like walking into that weight room and just, I'm going to do it, you know? Crazy? Um, so right though, like, because you don't know, like, I don't know, like, you don't know, like, that's not the best time to walk in there or like, <laughs> right. you'll find out pretty quickly, but yeah. That's yeah. So it's, it's not to say that, you know, it's all bad whenever you're younger and you're coming, there's a lot of really good that comes along with that. So if, if I could take a little of the wisdom that I have from all, all of the years, it would have been, okay, find that safe person that you can be a little vulnerable with. It doesn't have to be everybody, you know, you don't have to have a group chat with people, but it can be that one person, you know, and, and I still have one or two sports stage. There's you know, a big group that I might ask questions to. And then there's like one or two that I'll ask questions to. And then there's my mentor that's outside of sports nutrition, but she's in 
the business world that like gets that side of it that I can ask other questions too. Yeah, no, I agree. What about as an early sports dietitian, is there, after Lauren Link's episode on dying on a hill, is there, is a, is there a hill that you died on early <laughs> on in your career that you kind of look back and are like, oh no. <laughs> yep. Um, and thankfully um, during coronavirus, it has allowed me and my department to re hit reset on some things, right? So if, if you know, if there's any good that is going to come out of this pandemic, hopefully we can learn some lessons and do some things differently. And so the, um, the hill that I died on was that there had to be sports nutrition available to all the student athletes everywhere. <laughs> so like every one of our facilities, every, like, I'm like, I'm going to make it available where they are when oh. they need it at all times me by myself with nobody to help me. <laughs> and then that creates expectations that it should be everywhere at all times, you know, and then you're working with a volunteer group of, you know, great students, but they don't always show up and they don't have the same expectations that you do for your, it became this thing that's very difficult to manage. It is not very efficient. It is not, it's not necessarily needed in all cases. And so, um, that would be the thing that I would change. And I would do it real different right now if I was starting a HUD department. All it's not your fault. Time. You didn't have APW before you started. But that was something <laughs> they learned. No, I'm serious. Like if the, it's so funny. I don't know who said this, but like if the wheel's not broken, don't fix it. Like, I don't know, just like really weird things. I'm like, so oh good. God. Like, yeah, I'm not going to share all my secrets here. But so good. Like no <laughs> secrets. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like, Wait, they're already coming to get their fuel from, and again, this is before fruit nut bagels. I mean, it was like barely anything we we're providing, you know? So why I thought I needed to put it like in 16 fuel stations by myself at, at that time, I have no idea why I needed to do that. But, you know, and it's, it's similar to with like, like catering, you know, you feel like, oh my God, if they're eating, I have to have every, I have to know it all. I have to know and I have to be involved. No, you don't. What you think is good about dying on a hill is like when you died on that hill, like you died at least on your sounds like you died at least on your values. Like you, it was something you really cared about. And so, like I was yeah. thinking back, I'm not going into the exact example, but like I, I think when you die on a hill, you die in it by accident. Obviously, you're yes. obviously looking back. Would I have done something different? Like yes, I wasn't trying to yeah. do that. Like I was saying earlier, your, your narrow outlook, I'm sorry, your narrow point of view, like I think with a certain situation, I tried strategy like A and like I never thought of B and C when A didn't work out. And, you know, I kind of died on the hill and like I definitely would have gone back and done things differently. But like, I also like, I died on my values and even though I didn't mean yep. to, it kind of worked out for the best. Yeah. So yeah die on a hill just own it like own that hill like yeah totally oh yeah absolutely and I've told my staff that we were talking through that I was like all right we're changing things it, this is our opportunity and it's my fault and I'm sorry <laughs> you're like we're only offering services to two teams now well, well we're you know we are um yeah we're changing how we do our fueling stations not only where we're offering them, but what we're offering, we're still providing high value to the student athletes. But what they've showed us, shown us too, is that um, they're very responsible and resourceful. And, um, you know, we can provide a higher value, a higher service if we do it 
different ways. And we can actually save some money and sa save on waste and just some things we've evaluated by doing that differently. But um, you kind of, sometimes when you're down the hill, you create expectations too. So we had kind of created these expectations where, you know, now we're able to reset that um, from, for a few different reasons, you know? I mean, like one of them is, um, haven't been able to refill a couple of positions that I have. And so we've had to reset expectations with what we're able to do and what our service model is and what's important. And so, you know, the, the um, highly repeatable tasks that don't require a credential, um, you know, we need to be really careful about if we're doing those because um, as athletics departments are looking at, you know, needing to save on costs and, and really evaluating what what each of their people are doing and how they're adding value for the student athletes. You know, where does, where does the value come from as a sports dietitian and where, do, where does your credential provide that value? And I'd argue that, you know, ordering product and delivering it to fueling stations and making the fuel stations look pretty is not where our credentials is most valued. Um, and so we are making sure that, um, you know, right now with our, with our staff that we have, we're going to, we're going to change that expectation um, for what those feeling stations look like and um, just aren't going to be able to to do that at the level that we have before. Um, but we're still going to provide the care to the yeah. student athletes that only we can. Right. No, that's a really good point. And I think too, going back to like wanting everyone to have your services, I think any young dietitian coming in, you're naturally going to think like, that's like what you're supposed to do, which like, it's not mm -hmm. like you're not supposed to do that, but I, I think knowing like spend time with the teams that really, really want it because that's yeah. where your energy is going to be the most valuable. And then over time yeah. you'll trickle through. But I think early sports dietitians spend a lot of time on like the, whole, the high profile teams or like they get really maybe worked up about that type of stuff when it's like, take it slow and everything will fall into place. It just, it takes time. It's not, it doesn't just like show up yeah. on the day. Well, and you're going to, um, you'll be more fulfilled in that way too. Um, and you build, you, that, that's how I built the program over time is that you, you are providing that comprehensive care for the teams that are, are wanting it and needing it. And you're doing it at a really high level. And then the ones that aren't requesting it are getting, you know, ancillary, maybe ancillary services is what I call it. And so, you know, that looks like a different set of things. And so that that demand will build naturally over time if you're doing a really good yeah. job where you can. And so as that demand builds, then you say, okay, well, I'm providing comprehensive services for these for this number of athletes. It's being requested over here. I'm going to need additional staff to do that. I cannot decrease or unless you want me to decrease the comprehensive services that I'm providing to the number of, you know, to the number of teams I'm doing it for. You're so right. Just doing a really good job where it's being, you know, where it's being requested and where it's being valued um, will get you a whole lot further than trying, trying really hard as a N of one or an N of two to do really good and also be over there just to be there, even though they don't necessarily value it, but you're just there, it's right? And they, they don't really your time is going to give you a skimming result. Right. That's yeah. great. Great way to summarize it. Yep. Um, so you've, you've hired so many dietitians, I feel like in your lifetime, I feel like there's like a, probably a record on that. That's pretty cool. What do you look for when you're hiring like dietitians <laughs> to your team? I'm sure you're like an expert in it. Um, just like, what do you look for when you look at a resume or a cover letter or an interview? 
Um, yeah, I look for, um, so I want to see somebody who has a passion for, um, I think that's really common in the um, dietitians that have done a great job at Texas and then moved on and continue to do a great job wherever they are, is they have a passion for the athletes and, and taking care of the athletes and, and helping them to live long, healthy lives and, and to compete at their, at their sport. And they are kind of, um, um, you know, like I said earlier, the, the being a great dietitian piece of it needs to be there. So I look for that too. Like what kind of skill set, what kind of experience do you have of working as a dietitian? Because again, that kind of, you have to fall back on those skills. And, and it's not that I, I don't want to you know, teach them while they're here, because of course I do, but having, having a worked a little bit as a dietitian, I think is great because again, coming from my experience, I just think it makes you really, really strong sports dietitian. But I think, you know, one of the things is, do I, do I feel their passion for the athletes um, and for the teams that they serve? Are they a positive person? Do they have a growth mindset? Um, That is huge for us and for our department because you're going to, you're going to come against challenges and you're, and you got to have, have a sort of figure it out mentality. So does that come across in their interview? Um, so that would be, um, a couple of things. And then on site, I really, whenever, um, they're here, I, I see, I try to look for how they flex in different, um, conversations, you know, are they able to, um, walk into a room with coaches and exude um, graceful confidence, you know? Um, are they able to, you know, make eye contact? Are they able to hold a conversation? Are they able to, um, with, with my team, kind of get kind of comfortable? Cause we like to have, you know, fun with each other and laugh. Um, do, do they bring a little something different to the table than what my team currently provides, you know, do they have a different passion area or do they have a different skill set or do they have a different way that they sort of view the world, you know, because I think that that, um, that brings a lot to our department that we're not all the same, you know, we have different backgrounds and we have, we come from different experiences. And so those would be some of the things that I look for. Um, I certainly look for, you know, now, um, the sports nutrition departments have been going for a while. I look for people that have had experience in some capacity working in collegiate sports because um, you can say you want to do it and then you get into it and then you realize what the reality is and then you're like, oh, I don't think I want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think that's helpful to have some collegiate experience if you're able to have that opportunity, even if it's just you know, a couple of weeks of seeing, following a dietitian and seeing what they do. Um, so those, those are some of the things that I look for. Work ethic um, are important, what your values are, um, and if those are in alignment with, um, and really here, our values are, again, putting student athlete first. And we, as a team, we're, we're big on helping out each other versus being a, a me person. Yeah, that's really cool to think like all the dietitians that have come through, like obviously they've had experience other places. So to think how Texas has kind of 
grown over the years with all those different perspectives from other universities as well is is really I feel like unique compared to maybe other places for sure. Well, it helps me to be better because this is the only place I've ever been and I have don't have other collegiate experience other places. And so I want to learn too, you know, um, and I want them to bring I, I have plenty to learn and plenty to grow and to develop. And so it helps me to be stronger um, as well. And then hopefully helping them to, to grow. I mean, my husband calls it my coaching tree. You know, you hear about coaches coaching trees. Yeah. And so as painful it is for me to see people move on and, and leave Texas yeah, because I want them to stay. It's so hard, I feel like. It's so hard. I'm so grateful Katie has stayed for so long. Um, she was my first hire and um, she's, a rock star. So I'm so grateful for that. We have an awesome team right now. We're smaller than, you know, my vision, um, where I want to be eventually we'll get back there again. Um, but, uh, we have a, a great team in place right now. Okay. So I need your opinion on this. Do you know who Eric Cressy is by any chance? Sounds familiar. So he's the director of player health and performance for the Yankees, which I'm a Red Sox fan, but I saw okay. this, I saw this on Twitter and this is what he wrote about like people getting jobs. He wrote, many young coaches think that they'll get hired for what they know. The truth is that most employers understand what competencies will make you successful. So they hire for what they think you'll eventually know. Your growth mindset is far more important than your resume today. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I would, I do agree with that. And I, I, um, I can teach competency in sports nutrition. I can teach competency in eating disorders. I can teach competency in counseling skills. You know, we have a whole set of competencies to help our SNP get through that or to help our fellow get through that or to help dietetic interns get through that. Um, growth mindset is something you have to have from within. And I can, I can coach you on, you don't have that and I need you to have that. That's <laughs> right? a big issue, honestly, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> But that's, that's an, that's internal work um, that you have to do for yourself. And it is something that daily you have to wake up with your attitude is you get to choose that you get to choose how you respond to things. You get to choose how you think about things. You get to choose the filter in which you bring thoughts in and you try to challenge, wait, is that based on truth or is that what I'm telling myself right now? So I absolutely agree with that. And that's why I said like, Yes, it's great if they have experience, but again, I'm looking for, will they have that growth? Will they come and ask me if they have a really hard case and they don't know how to get through it? Or will they try to figure it out themselves and then be defensive whenever a coach is saying this is not working or when the athlete is not succeeding or when the athlete's complaining or whatever is going on, right? So will they have that enough of a growth mindset to be able to come and say, I'm not really sure how to navigate this. Can we talk through it a little bit? Yeah. Um, and to always be seeking to get, to get better and to grow, there's, we'll never stop, you know, um, developing and growing. And, and that's, that's something that I value so much. And so I want people on my team, um, that are pushing themselves internally. And then that helps us to all get better because I know they're all internally pushing themselves, which then helps to rise everybody else up too. Every, everyone have the growth mindset. That's the advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to do. It's hard, you know, especially depending on how, you know, your, I mean, my, your family of origin may not have that growth mindset. So that might be something that like, you're not 
hardwired for. So you kind of have to say like, what is that about? I don't even know what that means, you know, and start seeking out that personal development for what that means. I just thought it was interesting to think like for someone going into an interview and like, you're so nervous for like the questions that are going to be asked. It's like, know that like you're confident and you have this, do you have some past experience at the collegiate level? But to think that like the employer hiring you is like looking for like, like you said, are they going to come to me and say, hey, I actually don't know the answer. I mean, I think a lot of times people are afraid we're going to ask them to like, you know, write out metabolism or something on a whiteboard, you know, and it's like, I'm assuming, you know, all of that information. So if you don't, that'd be, that'd okay. be boring for everyone involved. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, can you take us through the growth of your program at UT over the years? Any like behind the scenes or just, I don't know. I think when people think of your program, they obviously think it's amazing, but anything you want to share that Alec will make people feel better, but just, yeah, yeah no, for sure. I mean, I heard uh, John Maxwell say um, yesterday, I was listening to a podcast and he said, you know, a guy came up to me and said, you know, I want to do what you do. And he said, well, do you want to do what I did um, to get here? You know, and I think that's so like, don't, you know, don't um, misperceive the the department and that it's easy. Um, It was easy by any stretch. But again, go back to that original thing that I said is I did in my interview process ask questions to determine if they were going to support building a department. And so um, at least I I had that piece of it and they understood what a dietitian did. Well, my my boss now says that he actually had no idea what I was going to do. We had just convinced him that he needed to hire somebody, Um, but we showed over time what we did. Um, And so so some of the things that I did, so one of the things that I did, I mentioned earlier, is I had a, um, a mentor that was, um, she's, she's a, um, a director at Dell, and so she has a business mindset, um, which is athletics is business, right? And so um, one of the things you mentioned that I did was I, I really focused in on the teams that wanted our care and that, that needed us and wanted us, not needed us, they all needed us, right? But we're, we're seeking that at the time. Um, and really went all in and, and what I call comprehensive services versus auxiliary. So comprehensive is everything, right? So it's individual consultations, it's teams talks, it's being at practices, it's being at lifts, it's sometimes traveling, it's doing their menus, it's doing everything that a sports RD does is comprehensive services. And then auxiliary services might be like one team talk a year, two team talks a year, and then high risk consultations. Right. And that's really all you can do for them because that's all you have time for. And so over time, as the demand increased, I would go back and I would visually show um, here's what here's what we're doing. Here's um, how we're meeting the demand. Here's the, the current ask that I'm having from these other coaches. I always joke that like your first two or three years are like super fun because everyone loves you and it's like novel and new and nutrition. Oh my gosh, it's great. And then people start getting mad because they're not getting what you're doing for that team or why aren't you helping us or like, you know, all of that kind of stuff that we hear. So you have to use that stuff to help you to build a case instead of saying yes to everybody. Right. And then the other thing that's really has been really important is I knew who my advocates were. And so I had some advocates. Mm. My current boss is an advocate, um, Chris Plonsky um, and the AD chair and the administration is, has been always been an advocate and and under really understanding the role of a sports dietitian. And then you have to understand how ADs think. And I always say, you know, ADs think in, um, you know, risk mitigation 
um, and, and dollars. And so as a dietitian, you have to think about, okay, how do, how do I fit that? You know, how does what I do fit what's important to them? Right. And so over time, um, I would show, you know, how we were going to add value. I learned really quickly, like, not necessarily, you know, doing research to, to promote the field of sports nutrition isn't as important to your athletics department, unless it's helping your athletes overall health and wellness and performance, right? So you have to drive it back to what's important to your athletics department. And so that's really how I built it over time was to show the increased demand, increase in demand of services in a very practical and visual way. So the presentations that I would do were very, um, very visual to the AD, um, kind of with bottom line of like, what's our, what's our risk? And then putting the question back to, okay, here's, here's the problem at hand right now, um, which is I have these teams asking for this. And, and this is a number of, you know, student athletes were able to, to provide comprehensive services for. Um, here's, here's a couple of proposals. Here's, here's, I propose that we do, you know, bring on another sports dietitian and we can, here's the outcome that we have, or I will have to start saying no here, here, and here. Or I will have to say no to these teams and continue saying yes to these teams, you know, like, so like presenting the different options that are available, not having it be, okay, this is the absolutely only option that we have. And we've had to do some of that right now with COVID and that where we can't fill two of our positions that were vacated. And so how, how to make sure that we're still providing again, like I said, those those services that only a sports RD can do and that mitigate risk for, um, for them and for the athletics department without, um, and then still, you know, communicating that to your coaches and communicating to that, to all your stakeholders of here's how it will feel different and here's why has been really important um, over time. Um, relationships, I, I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I mean, that's, that's gonna be, you know, having, People um, understand what you do and support what you do and echo what you're asking for um, is, is really important too. And so I just kind of each year would, I felt like every year I was going in for an ask, right? And, and asking for an additional staff member. My vision was um, one dietitian for every hundred athletes um, plus the director. And so I feel like to be in a director role um, and the way that I, and I, the way I see it and how I want to lead um, is really difficult to have a, a large number of athletes to be managing and to be directing um, and building out a program. Um, and so that was, that was a vision and we definitely were there and it certainly has changed with COVID and, and I'm, I'm taking on a lot more athletes, but um, that's kind of how I built it over time. I've also, um, when there's a coaching change, I always make an opportunity to interview those staff and find out what those expectations are. Um, and so making sure, you know, are we gonna be able to meet those expectations or not? And so, um, you know, maximize those opportunities that feel hard at the time because you're going through a lot of change, um, but how can um, you meet the demands that this new coaching staff has um, while also helping you to achieve your goals that you have for your department? That is just like amazing. You should just do a whole webinar on that question because I would come watch again. Um, what, I mean, there must've been so many times, like, was there any time, obviously you got no's or like, I feel like it's easy yeah. to get 
shut down really quickly. Did you feel like it was like the stakeholders or the, the people that had your back? Like, where do you feel like you were able to be resilient and bounce back? Because I feel like that's probably where a lot of dietitians struggle. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were definitely, definitely times of no or not yet or um, that won't work kind of situations. Watch me. Uh, yeah. And I would say that I would, um, in those situations, I would still just kind of try to document as much as possible what we were doing. My husband was always also telling me like, okay, when you add your next person, don't take more on, right? It's so like, that's the other thing to remember when you add another person, if you're already overworking and you're already doing too much for one person, don't take them more on, right? Continue to, but do a really good job in that moment. So the resiliency, I think Liz honestly comes from, people would ask me all the time in the first few years, like, how are you doing it? You know, you have little kids and husband and the, this crazy job, you're working all these crazy hours. And, and it really was my vision that kept me going. Like I had such a clear vision of where I wanted to take it. And I would just tell people like, I mean, I have a five-year plan and if I can achieve the five-year plan, then at the end of those five years, I'll be, my, I'll be able to watch my kids play sports because I'll have a team. I'll have a team of dietitians helping me. So I'll have some more you know, flexibility in that. Um, and if at the end of the five years, you know, I keep running into these barriers, then it's not the right job for me. And that's okay. And I can move on and do something else. And I think that's the other important piece of, this, of it is that, is it moving in the direction of, of what? you're wanting to take it. And if not, it's also okay to say, mm, it's not the right fit for me, but we don't have, our values don't align. My values and the athletics department's values and vision don't align. And so I'm not going to continue doing this. And I was very comfortable with that. I was very comfortable with, I can do this. I can do this grind for, for five years, but I do want to get it to a place that's sustainable for me. If I want to have a long-term career is not working 80 to 90 hours a week. Um, that is not sustainable for me, nor is it sustainable for anybody. But I knew at the time that I needed to do that for a period of time in order to build that demand. And so um, I think that's what helped to get me through too and helped to, me to be resilient with it is that um, I kind of had this plan in my mind of like, okay, I have these goals and, and if it's moving in that direction, I can, I can, I can do that, right? And, and um, I have gotten into a place now where if I need to leave and, and go see my kids sports or go pick them up or come in later because I want to take them to school. Um, you know, we have we have the department in a stable enough place where that where that's possible. Um, and I want that for sports dietitians. I want sports dietitians to feel like it's a job of longevity and not a job of I can do it for a few years and then I'll leave and go do something else. That's, I think, my next vision and my next passion is helping people kind of get to that point and not, um, and, and I'm sorry if I ever contributed to anyone's feeling of like, I have to like work 90 hours a week or else I'm not a good sports dietitian. I don't, you know, I don't want that to be um, the way it has to be forever for everyone, right? So there's going to be seasons in which you are going to have to grind and it is athletics and it is going to be a different thing. And, but you, but if you know what you're getting into and you have, and you have, uh, are building it towards something um, and you have that support, you know, from, from um, the administration and your bosses, I, I, I want to be a part of helping to build this to a sustainable for career for people for a long term. It's amazing. We could just end the interview right now. It'd be a great ending. 
<laughs> well, we're not there yet, so we're we're still we're still getting there. We're still going, guys. We're still get. We're still getting there. Yeah. Yeah. It just just keeps coming in. Yeah. Amazing. No, and I think like people coming in, like I I don't know. It's like the expectation of I don't want to work all these hours. Like sometimes I think you have to work the hours. No, you don't want to work the hours, and it's it's okay if you don't want to work those hours. Like like yeah. I've developed like at UConn, like I I don't work over 40 hours a week. And like, I think sometimes people are like embarrassed to say it because it almost feels like people think it's so cool to work 90 hours a week, but like, I don't. And yeah, you know, so I just think like- And you're adding a great value there and they and they value what you do and you are doing a great job. And so I think that's, um, I mean, I haven't plugged the toolkit yet, but mm-hmm. all of the stuff that we're talking about is in the CPSDA Elevate Toolkit and all of, these sort of hard stories that, you know, an amazing group of dietitians that contributed to it dumped their brains into this toolkit. And if I would have had it, all the stuff that we're talking about, I probably would have, you know, you don't cry at work, but you can cry in the car on the way home. So I cried in the car on the way home a whole bunch. You cry when you're doing the toolkit. (laughs) Oh no. Hopefully you don't cry when you do, hopefully you cry because it's like such an amazing like resource for you. Another plug. I actually just got it. I just have to print it out. So I'm excited. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like you have time to like go through the toolkit where like usually you wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, you know, absolutely so good timing. So, yep. Yep. Everyone go get the toolkit. Um, okay. So as president of CPSDA in light of COVID, like what, what advice do you have for everyone right now? Or just anything you want to say to the people out there? Yeah, I mean, I, well, first, what an honor. So just thank you for trusting me, um, for voting me on the board. And, and um, it's a huge um, honor to, you know, to lead the organization um, and to lead it through times of change. And I think that's just the one thing the board, we always think about, like, what are our members needing right now? What they're needing right now is different than what we needed, you know, I was going to say a year ago, but it's almost already been a year from COVID starting, right? So what I would say is that, it's not going to always be this way. And, um, you know, re- if you heard anything, hopefully in this, in this um, interview, it's, you know, find some people to reach out to and to ask questions. And, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the same shoes as everybody else. And that, you know, I haven't been able to fill positions and we're having to recalibrate. And I got out the toolkit and, and used it for myself to, you know, to reassess where, where I am right now. Um, and so make sure you're, you're reaching out to this amazing community of dietitians um, and get the toolkit, use it at, please. I mean, we're, we've tried to price it in a way that is, you know, achievable for, for people to order it. It's not too expensive, but it is such, it is such a wealth of knowledge and such a gift. Um, I feel like it's, it's so, it helps you. It doesn't give you the answers, right? Because everyone's in a different situation. And so, but what it does help you to do is ask those hard questions that a really seasoned mentor would ask you. I mean, that's where, you know, my mentor Penny has been so helpful for me is that she has challenged me in ways that have made me very uncomfortable in the moment because she knows you know, what I want and she knows what I value. And so that's a lot of what the toolkit does. It does ask really hard questions. It's not something you're going to just be able to breeze through quickly. It might take you a year or more than a year to fill it out. Um, 
and you're going to be at different places in your career. Like, you know, I'm starting my ninth year at Texas and I'm absolutely going to work through it again for myself. Um, because, you know, like I said, I had the, the, the set of five-year goals and, and now it's year nine and I need to make sure that we're, my current team's all in alignment. So I'm going to use it, use it for that. The other thing I would say is I'm so inspired all the time by different, um, dietitians and just, you're all amazing at your job. You're all rock stars, right? Everybody. And it's not supposed to look the same ev for every department. And that's the whole point of the toolkit is that you have to know what your administration wants um, or wherever you're working, if it's in pro military, whatever you're doing, private practice, you have to know, you know, what your audience, what success looks like so that you can align yourself in that way. And so again, um, this isn't going to be forever. COVID's not going to be forever. Hopefully someday soon we can all see each other again at a conference or a meeting. Um, but what we're trying to do is provide resources and tools um, for where we are right now and use this time for, you know, recalibrating if you need to, resetting if you need to, and then finding a couple of people that feel safe that you can be vulnerable with to ask questions. Yeah. I agree. I think COVID has been a good time to like better yourself. Like you have time to elevate. That sounds lame, but like, you know, you should. Plus <laughs> we love that word. <laughs> we love the word elevate and launch. <laughs> best, the toolkit. best piece of advice you've received in your career up until this point. Oh my gosh. So much. Um, but because of the way that I'm wired and, and who I am, I would say probably the best piece of advice was nobody's opinion matters, but God's, um, because I tend to compare, uh, myself and be a people pleaser. And so I have to remind myself of what my values are and what's important. And that helps me to reset for, okay, what really matters, what really matters. Cause if you're trying to please everybody, you're not going to please anybody and you're certainly not going to please yourself. And so if you know where, if I know where my values are, what's important to me, that really helps me to have some peace and making confident decisions and then going, going forward confidently with those decisions. Um, yeah. Yes. Spending time where, where, what you value and then you're going to be happy for sure. All right. Ready for the rapid fire round? Yes. I sure. Everyone spent an hour and a half with us already. <laughs> I'm sorry. You'll no, have lots of editing. Amazing. I was like, I just want to keep asking her all these questions because you only get one, one shot. Well, I feel so lucky to be on. Okay. Favorite Skittle flavor? Great. Green? Purple. Great. Oh, purple. Great. Okay. Someone yeah. told me that they actually all taste the same, which I don't agree. What? Yeah. Like someone told me they use it for like um, exposure to help people like get in touch with their senses <laughs> or maybe like disordered eating and to try the uh -huh. color and but I, I don't think they do. So I agree with you. I think grape is like, I wouldn't well, now I have the green one's bad, right? Yeah. Well, now I have homework for the weekend with my kids. We're going to do a taste I test. Like I was so like ignorant that I, I personally like the red one and the grape one as well, but yeah. But yeah, that's okay. Great. Well, I'm for sure. When I go pick up my kids today, we're going to go get Skittles and try this out. Yeah, let me know. I'll so, text you. What's a new recipe or like cooking skill that you used in quarantine that you use now or that you continue to use? Um, let's see. A new skill. Let me think if I did anything new. Or like a big, it just like random. I don't know. 
I didn't really, ba- I hate baking. I love to cook though. Okay. So I would say that I cooked a whole, yeah, I cooked a whole lot more. Um, and I know, I mean, sure everyone is aware, but I love half-baked harvest um, and her beautiful pictures. Are you familiar with her? I don't know. Is that what you share on Instagram? I don't know. If I... Half-baked, har- half-baked harvest is she's a, I think started out as a blogger, but she has cookbooks. And so I kind of cu- cooked my way through her cookbooks. Um, and then I cooked my way through another cookbook that I love called Two Peas in Their Pod. Um, and so I just did a whole lot more cooking. The other thing that we love, um, I've been doing a lot of more, a lot more um, Indian food lately. And so introducing my kids to curries and things like that, which has been really fun. fun. I um, have a little bit of a cookbook obsession. Like I have a huge collection of them. Um, and love looking at recipes and looking at cookbooks. So it was really fun to actually work my way through some of them. Are you an iced coffee person? Um, more just hot coffee usually. Okay. Well, for any of those iced coffee lovers, I discovered adding chocolate milk to your iced coffee is like going to Starbucks without paying for it. So, so do you make your ice, co- do you make like cold brew or do you just no, put ice in your coffee? It's just like a Kerrigo's hot, then I'll put it over ice and then, um, okay. chocolate milk in it. I just wanted to let everyone know. It's okay. Been life changing. Okay. My daughter has started drinking um, some iced coffee, so I'll have to tell her about that. Okay. Yeah, it's a game changer. Um, book that has had the biggest impact on your career up until this point? Oh, for sure. Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I read it every year <laughs> and I learn something new. Have you ever noticed with certain books that sometimes you'll read them and you don't? you're like, I'm not tracking or I'm not really getting that. And then another time you'll read it and you're like, whoa. And it's like mind blowing. I have, I swear I have that almost every time I read this book every year, I'll learn something new. Whereas that, you know, that analogy, like I remember when I first read it and she talks about your armor, I had no clue what she was talking about. I was like, what should I have to read it again? Cause I remember it. There's just books that I like you forget so many books and I, I love my husband jokes that like the Amazon guy has like you know he has like a, a trail in Wait, does Renee Brown live here? No. she lives in Austin no she lives in I'm sorry she lives in Houston but she's a professor at I actually watched her UT graduation speech on YouTube this past spring because I love her love her too it's it's definitely a goal to meet her someday yes all right fill in the blank 2021 is the year of Clarity. Ooh, can you tell us more? Yeah, I think that we learned, hopefully at least, I, I know I did, I learned a lot of lessons last year. And my father-in-law says a saying, and I think it was actually a, from a song, but the cracks are where the light comes through. And so we had a lot of cracks last year. You know, we had a lot of difficulties last year and I want to learn from those. Again, I want to have a growth mindset. And so I want to make sure that I learn and I come out of it better um, out of those, those hard challenges. Um, and there's so many, um, many different topics and also just many different specific examples. And so I want to use that as some clarity and to be better, um, be a better mom, be a better human, be a better friend, be a better daughter, be a better wife, be a better leader, um, be a better dietitian. Um, so I, I want it to be a year of clarity that we're applying what we learned, um, you know, and move forward and, and, and be better. Amazing. I wish I could end it here, but there's one more question. Are you ready? <laughs> yep. <laughs> if, you, if you could tell your younger Artie self one thing, what would you say? 
um, it's all going to be okay. <laughs> it'll work out. It'll work out. And, um, and it's worth it. You know, you are, you're going to get that job that you, you know, you dream about and you don't even know you, you have it. I always say God's plans are way cooler than anything I could ever dream up. I never dreamt I could have this job. I just knew kind of what my passions were. So follow, follow those passions and they'll lead to the right place, even when it feels like it's not. And, you know, you're on the right track with building relationships and keep, keep that up and don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget the importance of that. And as I'm telling my not young self now is like keeping those relationships, right? So not getting so busy that you lose them. I mean, I had a, one of our um, previous basketball coaches texted me yesterday and he's so good at like every now and then reaching back out. And I think that's one of the lessons that I want to remind myself of is those relationships are important and yes, you know, use those, but it's more than about using, using those relationships to help you. It's really about the people in your life are so important um, and continuing those relationships forever. Important. Amazing. Relationships, values, and clarity in 2021 with Amy Culp. Yep. Hope so. Call me on it. Hold me accountable. I will. You'll have to text me about the Skittles thing first. I'm going to. We're going to go get Skittles. Oh. We, we normally we normally go get a um, like an icy after school on Friday. Oh. So, but today's going to have to be We're a Skittles day. All right. Well, Amy, thanks so much for your time today. It was, it was a blast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for doing this for our community. It's such a gift um, to hear people's stories and to connect people in this way and hopefully to help people to feel vulnerable. Like we said, like, oh, that, I resonate with that story. I'm going to give that person a call. I'm going to text that person or I'm going to reach out to somebody else. You know, building, again, I love sports stations and what they do. And when, you know, when, when one person is doing a great job, we're all doing a great job. And so cheering other people on um, is what you're doing. And I, I love it. I love how you're, you know, telling people stories, cheering each other on. It just, I think it helps to build our community, which is so important. So thank you for doing it. Thank you. I appreciate it. But yeah, it's been so fun on my end too, like talking to people like you. And like I was just saying before we started recording, it's been so amazing because I think sometimes we think we're all really different or like someone has so much more experience, which they do, or they're much younger, but we all have so much more in common than we really know. So thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Sports Artie Snippets. I hope you found our conversation helpful today. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Share the podcast or tell another sports RD to be or sports dietitian about it. If you can rate and review the podcast, it really helps the show and is much appreciated. Remember to follow along on Instagram at Sports RD Snippets to see what Sports RD guest is featured each week. I'm super excited to bring on my upcoming guests, so stay tuned. I'm Liz Waluka, and thanks so much for listening.